Let me begin this in prayer. This is collect number 102 for Sundays. Oh God, you make us glad with the weekly remembrance of the glorious resurrection of your Son, our Lord. Give us this day such blessing through our worship of you that the week may come to be spent in your favor through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All the technology is working and everything this morning. Don't jinx it. <laughs> so, so the past what, four weeks minus last last Sunday, we have traveled through the history of the prayer book from its beginnings, even from its sources like the Sauron Rite to the present, to the beginning of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer that we use for our services now. Isn't it handsome? So now it's time to actually walk through the 2019 prayer book and explore how we use it or can use it today. Ever since its birth, one of the ACNA's goals has been to develop a new book of common prayer, one that is closer to, to the tradition of the 1662 prayer book than some others uh, in use throughout the global Anglican communion. Concerning the importance of the 1662 prayer book, uh, here's what the fundamental declarations of the province, that's the ACNA, has to say. And you can find this in the back of your prayer book. Don't have to go there now. But uh, it says, we receive the Book of Common Prayer as set forth by the Church of England in 1662 together with the ordinal attached to the same as a standard for Anglican doctrine and discipline and with the books which preceded it as the standard for the Anglican tradition of worship. So it's, it's referencing also the uh, 1549, 1552, 1559, and 1604 prayer books. This is very much in line with Gafcon's 2008 Jerusalem Declaration, which you can also find in the back of your prayer book. We rejoice in our Anglican sacramental and liturgical heritage as an expression of the gospel, and we uphold the 1662 Book of Common Prayer as a true and authoritative standard of worship and prayer to be translated and locally adapted for each culture. So, so, the preface of the 2019 prayer book, written by uh, Archbishop Foley Beach and Archbishop Emeritus Robert Duncan, situates the ACNA's 
new prayer book within Anglicanism's prayer book tradition. Uh, they also uh, pull no punches, as we've seen before, and, and part of this I've read before, uh, when taking issue with some of the recent prayer books, particularly, though they don't say it, the 1979. Oh, actually they do say it, sorry. <laughs> the liturgical movement of the 20th century and the ecumenical reproachment of the second half of that century had an immense impact on the prayer book tradition. The Book of Common Prayer, 1979, in the United States and various prayer books that appeared in the Anglican provinces from South America to Kenya to Southeast Asia to New England were often more revolutionary than evolutionary in character. Eucharistic prayers, in particular, were influenced by the rediscovery of patristic text unknown at the Reformation and often bore little resemblance to what had for centuries been the Anglican norm. Baptismal theology, especially in North America, was affected by radical revisions to the received Christian understanding and came perilously close to proclaiming a gospel of individual affirmation rather than of personal transformation and sanctification. So according to Archbishops Foley and Robert, the uh, 2019 prayer book is part of the 21st century's global reassessment of the Book of Common Prayer of 1662 and is the standard for doctrine, discipline, and worship. They conclude the preface with the following words. The Book of Common Prayer is indisputably true to Cranmer's original vision of a form of prayer, prayers and praise that is thoroughly biblical, Catholic in the manner of the early centuries, highly participatory in delivery, yes, uh, particularly Anglican and English in its roots, culturally adaptive and missional in a most remarkable way, utterly accessible to the people and whose repetitions are intended to form the faithful catechetically and to give them doxological voice. Uh, uh, catechetically meaning uh, it's, it's instructive, it's educational to us. Uh, doxological meaning it's worshipful. The Book of Common Prayer is the product of a new era of reform and restoration that has created the Anglican Church in North America. The Jerusalem Declaration of 2008 located itself within the historic confines of what authentically the Christian faith and the Anglican patrimony, what, I'll just go with it, uh, and sought to restore their fullness and beauty. The Book of Common Prayer is offered to the same end. So, they are situating this within the broad context of historical Anglicanism. They're tying it to the faith as it is represented in the 1662 prayer books and those preceding it and tying it to the global church uh, 
through, through the fact that they're situating it in part of this global movement, the, the movement represented by GAFCON as far as others seeking to go back to a more truer, orthodox, biblical form of Anglican praise and worship. So, now that we've got the background, what is actually in the 2019 Book of Common Prayer? You should see it here. So this is the first page of the Table of Contents. I'm just going to go it step by step here. At this point, it's important to remember that the prayer book is designed to be a comprehensive resource. That means that unless you are Anglican clergy, maybe even then, you won't use the entirety of the prayer book very often. Instead, you'll come back to certain sections time and time again. And you'll use others maybe once in your life. So we'll, be, so we'll begin with the sections of the 2019 that you'll use most. So, in the beginning of the prayer book, uh, after the preface, which we just read a couple portions of, there's concerning the divine services, concerning the divine service of the church. And this basically orients you mostly to these sections of the prayer book that we use most. Um, th those are the daily office, the great litany, holy communion, baptism, and confirmation. If you're not familiar with what these services are, I'll quote the 2019's definitions, which you find in the concerning the divine services of the church. First, there's the daily office. This, I have to say, and I've said it before, is my... Did I just lose? Oh, okay. I'm on. Um, this is probably my favorite part of the prayer book just because it's what got me into the prayer book. But it is daily morning prayer and evening prayer. Uh, those are the established rites uh, offices by which both corporately and individually God's people annually encountered the, the whole of the whole... Yeah, I'm having a hard time talking today. <laughs> God's people annually encountered the whole of the Holy Scriptures, daily confessed their sins and praised God, praise Almighty God, and offered timely thanksgivings, petitions, and intercessions. This section, we're going to back up two pages, not only contains morning and, morning and evening prayer, however, it also covers midday prayer, Compline, family prayer, which are four short versions of the daily office services, and the supplemental canticles for worship. So, so canticles, or songs, poems, 
that you can uh, that you can substitute into the daily office for the regular canticles. We'll go over that in a couple of weeks. And then there is also uh, the great litany. Oh, I moved it. Uh, the Great Litany, and though they don't describe it here, the Decalogue. These are things that can be inserted and often are inserted uh, in both the daily office and the, the Holy Communion rite. Uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, used to be, as far as the 1662 prayer book, and prayer, prayer books before it used to be read during the service every Sunday. And you can still put it there. But most of the time, and this is true of us as well, we do what's called the summary of the law. Uh, so you shall love the Lord your God with all your hope. Yeah, that, that one. <laughs> um, but the great litany is commonly used before the Holy Eucharist on the first Sunday of Advent and the first Sunday in Lent. So technically we could have done it today, um, uh, but we didn't. Uh, and may be used on other Sundays as needed or as the bishop directs. The Great Litany is especially appropriate for rogation days, other days of fasting or thanksgiving, and occasions of solemn and comprehensive entreaty. It can be used as an independent rite or at the conclusion of morning and evening prayer. I've most often seen it substituted uh, 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 in the area where the suffrages are the, uh, the, um, the, the regular prayers that, that we have responsively. <clears throat> uh, also, big one, Holy Communion. These are the rites that we do every Sunday. Uh, the Holy Communion, commonly called the Lord's Supper or the Holy Eucharist, is a chief means of grace for sustained and, nat and nurtured, living, nurtured life in Christ. It is normally the principal service of Christian worship on the Lord's Day, and on other appointed feasts and holy days, such as Ash Wednesday, which we just had. Mindful of the admi admonition in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, participation in Holy Communion requires a penitent heart and lively faith. Then we move on to the ones that you will participate in some point, but probably only once in your life, unless something went wrong, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, yes. we, we did the Great Litany this past Wednesday? Was it? Wait. Was it? Did you? Was it in the? Yes. yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Okay, so that's what you're talking about? Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, I believe so. 
<laughs> um, oh, baptism. Yes, once in a life. <laughs> Holy baptism is the initiatory rite of the church which seals adoption in Christ and is the means of grace for new life in him. And of course, we do this either for adults or for children uh, in our tradition. Then confirmation. Confirmation or reception uh, through the laying on of hands by a bishop is the right of public profession of faith that is expected of every adult member of the church. It is in the Holy Spirit it, it, in it, the Holy Spirit gives grace to the believer for discipleship and ministry as a mature Christian. Certainly. Here are some tools you can use to generate summaries for your documents. Any summary? Yes, Colleen. Seventy pages a day. What for the for the well, it looks like I'm, I'm morning through morning prayer yeah, through day, Conklin. And I'm like, I just want to know. Yeah, I. How, how, <laughs> how guilty I have to. Be. <laughs> there is grace. There is grace. Oh. Well, I just. Yep. Yeah, it, it really depends. I don't know anyone who does all four of those services every day. Okay. Uh, even amongst clergy, I don't think I know people who do all four of those services every day. Um, what would make you, I mean, because I realize yeah. that I really want to understand the purpose and how I am to use it. Like, yeah. I get up in the morning and it says morning prayer. Yeah. Well, morning prayer and evening prayer are the core offices. Those are the ones that have existed in all of the prayer books all the way back to Cranmer. And, and so a lot of people say, you know, if you, if you don't do, you know, the others, fine, do those. And also, I think that the family prayer rites are excellent for, you know, we can be very busy people and everything. Those family prayer rites, which are much shorter but follow the same base, basic structure, give you those, you know, prayer times uh, and everything throughout the day, especially when you don't have uh, time to do the full rite, which takes see, roughly 25 minutes each. Uh, well, 25 for morning and evening prayer, about 10 to 15 for the midday compline. Jason. Morning, evening, and night, and the, you were saying a couple weeks ago that um, 
someone at some point was saying that morning prayer actually was the standard service that was used in that's right in uh, Episcopal churches or Anglican churches for a hundred years or something. Yeah, yeah. Up up until um, up until the seventy nine prayer book came came about. Uh, more more churches used morning prayer as their standard Sunday service. So, it's, is it written as a as a service for a church, or is it written for individual devotion? Yeah, uh, we'll cover this more in a couple of weeks, but but both. Okay. Uh, it's it's written so if it is a group of people, then then you can do it. You can do things responsively and everything. But there, is, there are specific uh, rubrics, instructions in it, uh, such as the end, where uh, if, you, if you say it alone, you end with one thing. If you say it together, you can end it with another thing. Also, there's instructions for... Uh, after after the confession of sin, whether whether a priest is leading it or whether it's a deacon or just a layperson saying it, or if it's a priest who's saying it alone, because it's really weird to absolve yourself. <laughs> um, so so it it's a service that is written to be able to be done either as an individual or a as a small group, a small family, or something, but it can also be done in church and works very well as a church service as well. Rolinda. And I was going to piggyback on that, especially for you, Colleen. There's, there's an app that has all the readings for the day, so you don't even have to look it up. You can just go there and do <coughs> all the stuff for that day's morning prayer Yes. or evening prayer or noonday is all there. Yes, uh, the um, uh, it, uh, the app is referring to is uh, Daily Office 2019. Uh, you can also it's it's also a website you can go to if you don't want to download the app, and it it gives you the day's liturgy as it's supposed to be. Uh, it gives you the day's readings as as it's prescribed, and you can you can do it as either the full office or as family prayer. If you want to divide the readings for the day that, that would normally be in the full office between the four prayer times of the day so that you can do the short version of the prayers but still get your Bible reading in, you can actually set it to do that and, and divide up those four scripture readings evenly through the day. Um, so it's it's a fantastic app. Um, if you prefer paper uh, and you want something to carry with you, the website that I work for, Anglican Compass, has a paper version of a printable paper version of the Daily Office that you can print out. We give you the lectionary readings for four months, uh, and it guides you through the office in just morning and evening prayer, but in a really simple way. So we'll get into that more in a couple of weeks when I talk more about the daily office, but, but it can be done 
either as a church or as an individual or as a family. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I think is most exciting uh, in our tradition. Um, what else does the Book of Common Prayer have? Uh, yes, oh, I already covered baptism and confirmation there. These next things are the things are the things that you probably won't use regularly. They are things that are there and uh, as uh, as one of the ministers here, they are available to you during times of life when you need them. That is, the pastoral rights, those are the rights officiated by ministers through the life of parishioners, including marriage, rites of healing, and burial. There is the Psalter, the Psalter you will use during morning and evening prayer if you wish to do that. Um, there are the Episcopal services, which are the rites officiated by a bishop, including the ordinal, uh, which is what we use to ordain uh, deacons and priests and to consecrate new bishops. There are the special liturgies of Ash Wednesday and Holy Week, so we used one of these Wednesday. We'll, we'll use the rest in about six weeks. There are the collects and occasional prayers. Now, these you will actually use uh, during, during your morning and evening prayer. They're there for you. Uh, there are assigned ones, assigned uh, prayers for each week of the church. We use one collect each Sunday. It's prescribed for the week by the prayer book. But there are other prayers in there that are really for your use. Uh, it, there's a list of them by topic. Uh, I pulled one out this morning, which is four Sundays. It's not, uh, it's not one that that you need to say at any particular time. It's just, if I want to prepare for going to church today, it's there. If I want to say a quick prayer myself, quietly, before I come take communion, there's actually one there. If I want to say a little prayer quietly after I take communion, there's one there. If I am staying home and watching our service online. There's actually a prayer to say during communion for that too. There's, there's times, there's prayers for times of distress. There are prayers for times of joy. It's, it's a resource for when, when we may not have the words and we're kind of looking for something to riff off of. Some of them are really historic prayers. 
I've, I've brought up a few over the previous weeks. Prayers by, by um, John Wesley, Lancelot Andrews, Miles Coverdale, and so many others throughout our history. So that is there for you as a resource. Uh, also, uh, the calendar and lectionaries, obviously, uh, the church calendar, what, what days are which, what falls on which day, how to find Easter, which is really frustrating. Um, uh, the lectionaries, so, so both the uh, daily office lectionary that we would use during morning and evening prayer, as well as the Sunday and Holy Day lectionary, which we would use for our Eucharist services. And then at the back of the book are the documentary foundations. Um, so those are, again, the fundamental declarations of the province. So basically our founding statements. There's the... Uh, uh, there's a statement on the Nicene Creed. There's the Athanasian Creed. Basically, all you need creeds by um, the, the Apostles' Creed is already... Um, the thing concerning the Nicene Creed is mainly concerning the filioque clause in the Nicene Creed, um, which is the of the Son part, proceeded from the Father and the Son. Uh, which is disputed between the East and the West, and there's a lot of history there I don't have time to go into right now. <laughs> uh, there is the Athanasian Creed, which, uh, which is sometimes uh, said uh, during, during the church year. Um, it can be said, like on Trinity Sunday, and something a church can uh, say it then. It's very long. Um, there's the 39 Articles of Religion, of course. There's the Jerusalem Declaration, the, uh, the Gafcon sort of statement of, of faith uh, that was developed a few years ago. And there are the prefaces to the Books of Common Prayer in 1549 and 1662. So that's, that's the basic overview of the prayer book. Yes, Kevin. Good question. Surprises me that the Apostles' Creed isn't listed in there with the Nicene and the Athanasian. Yeah, the uh, so so the the thing with the Nicene right there is just describing what uh, the decision-making process, as we've been in ecumenical relations, uh, in talks with the Eastern churches, and everything. Why the Nicene Creed is as it is in our rites. Obviously, it's, it's already printed in our uh, Holy Communion rites, for instance. Uh, but there's sort of a, uh, I think, brackets and footnote about the filioque. So it kind of explains what's going on there in that section. 
the Athanasian Creed does not is not naturally present in in our rites, and so they include that at the back of the book in case you want to substitute it in uh, for for the other creeds. Um, so yeah, um, so I pulled a few frequently asked questions. Uh, these are these are represented like they're questions we've gotten on Anglican Compass, basically, by people who were exploring the prayer book for the first time. Uh, just about formatting stuff at the, get, at the beginning. Uh, certain things are italicized. You'll see uh, basi basically uh, a lot of pronouns and, and nouns uh, uh, will say he but you know you can also change that italicized he to a she if it's referring to a woman and uh also if it's uh you know if it's one person you can make it plural things like that those are simple uh there are vertical lines in the left margins uh for certain parts of the prayer book i'm thinking specifically here of the Holy Communion rite, the one we use on Sunday. There are a couple of uh, paragraphs in the, um, in the prayer of consecration, which you know is quite long. Uh, it feels quite long. Uh, so there are a couple of sections of that that can actually be removed if someone wants to do that. Uh, one, both, both of them, you could see a, a church with a certain leaning removing one or a certain church with another le leaning removing the other but honestly they're both pretty good so we keep them <laughs> uh, but there are lines in the margins by those during that right there are also asterisks Aster again that word um, the little star thing. Um, in the 2019 uh, prayer book, they're used to denote the uh, responsorial, antiphonal, or musical breakpoints in canticles or other texts frequently sung or corporately recited. You'll see these uh, in the Psalms. If you, if you look at any of the Psalms, one, uh, they're divided by half verse. <clears throat> the first half of the verse has an asterisk uh, uh, by it. That would be the part that the leader, minister, whatever, would say. And then the second part would be what the congregation responds with. Or, as sometimes happens in a sort of even song setting it may be the left side says one part the right side says the other part other liturgies and services there are things that are not in this book that we nonetheless do on occasion uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is a house blessing i've done two of those since uh since i came on may do a third soon 
Um, and <laughs> and uh, and it's just one of those things. That's that's why we have what's still being developed in the ACNA, but which existed in the Episcopal Church and exists for many other churches worldwide, a uh, book of occasional services. Uh, there are also uh, other rites that can be developed. Uh, they're subject to the direction of the Bishop Ordinary, uh, and uh, they can be approved by him, basically. Uh, special devotions taken from, taken from Holy Scripture and other services consistent with the Scriptures may be authorized by the bishop. Um, other languages. So, obviously, most of our prayer book is in contemporary English. It's in modern English, uh, different from the 28 prayer book and all other prayer books before that. Um, and then there were two rites for many services in the 79 prayer book. Uh, but it does make provision for the translation of the service into other languages as needs arise. Um, uh, further, although the 2019 is predominantly in our contemporary idiom, a traditional language edition was published in 2022. Same pagination and everything, but it's green. Um, uh, but it sort of reverse translates everything in the 2019 into Elizabethan English for people who like that. Um, there is also a full Spanish translation of the 2019 prayer book, and there is a Chinese translation of several of the rites so far. Uh, particularly the core rites like the daily office and the Holy Eucharist services. Uh, which tra translation of scripture is used? Mainly the English Standard Version except for the Psalms and Canticles uh, and, and uh, citations marked with a sort of superscript T uh, which indicates traditional prayer book language. A uh, quick word on the ESV, uh, uh, just as far as its use in the prayer book, and in general, because it was the tra uh, standard translation of the prayer, the 2019 prayer book. It's when when uh, when the general editor of the translation is on your prayer book committee, it helps get your translation into the prayer book. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, J.I. Packer. Um, uh, and uh, because Anglican Liturgy Press, uh, which is an imprint of Anglican House Publishers, they make the prayer book. Uh, anyhow, they, they have released a couple of editions of the ESV Bible with the Apocrypha over the years by special arrangement with Crossway, who publishes the ESV. Uh, the ESV's Apocrypha was originally commissioned in 2010 by Oxford University Press. I'm going to skip over most of this. You can ask me some questions about the Apocrypha if you want. Um, uh, but uh, why there are Apocrypha readings and Disclaimer, not all Anglicans do use them, 
but they're in there because the 39 articles say of them. The church doth read, for example, of life and instruction of manners, but yet, but yet doth it not apply them to establish any doctrine. So no doctrine is based on the Apocrypha, but Anglicans have tended to still consider them useful. Um, uh, uh, they were left out of two historic prayer books. They are in most of them. Um, and again, we have our Psalter is the new Coverdale Psalter, which is based on Mouse Coverdale Psalter that has been in the historic prayer books or even before the 1662 in historic usage. Uh, according to the uh, translator, uh, according to one of the one of the guys who updated the uh, the Psalter. Uh, uh, John Crutchfield, the committee consisted of three Hebrew scholars and one liturgist. So, three Hebrew scholars. Remember, the original Coverdale Psalter was translated from Latin, so this is an improvement there. He says, we were given specific guidelines from the College of Bishops, update archaic language, make it gender neutral without being obtrusive, etc., our methodology was to start with the orig original Coverdale Psalter as it appeared in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. Then we consulted the Hebrew text to make sure Coverdale's rendering was acceptable. If it wasn't, we were free to correct it. Then, as we re revised Coverdale's language, we consulted both the revised Psalter of 1963, which was unpublished, but it included the work of T.S. Eliot and C.S. Lewis and the Psalter in the 79 prayer book. So I think that's all we can get through today, uh, which is good. I just made it to the end. Uh, but if there are any questions, uh, Tom. Uh, in the preface, there was a reference to patristic texts not known at the Reformation. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more next week as we talk about the, um, the Holy Communion rites. Uh, uh, so, some of that work is, is still influential on parts of our text, but, but a lot of it was there was an, uh, the liturgical movement in most a good portion of the 20th century. Uh, a lot of older texts were, uh, were discovered from the early church, what their rites looked like and everything. It's very fascinating, but with a lot of ecumenical dialogue going on with the Eastern Church, with the Roman Catholic Church and everything, a lot of these influences found their way into, for instance, the 79 prayer book and in common worship in England, and and not bad rites, but they drift far from what our Anglican tradition has been. And so, basically, with this prayer book, they were like, okay, fascinating work. 
let's pull it back a little bit. Let's get a little bit closer to how our tradition has done things uh, so make it more distinctly Anglican. So a lot of those uh, modifications uh, or options or whatever to the communion rites were cut and in what we end up with is more close even in the ancient renewed text of the communion rite to what's traditionally been Anglican. Anything else? I did. Um, I, uh, do you know why they, the ACNA came up with a slightly different lectionary? Um, a, a little bit. It, it, covers, it covers a bit more scripture. Like it's, it's, This isn't 100% true, but the readings tend to be slightly longer than in the Revised Common Lectionary. Also, there are some parts that the Revised Common Lectionary tended to avoid as far as being a little spicy, a little bit, <laughs> that, that the ACNA lectionary actually covers a bit more. Uh, Jason? Was the 1979 prayer book the first prayer book to have two or at least two, sorry, at least one Eucharistic liturgy? Um, no, every prayer book has had a Eucharistic liturgy. But uh, having, more than, having more than one, yeah, the 79 was the first in America. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much. See you next week.